Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blase Blah Film Chat. I hope you all have been holding up out there, you know, keeping sane and just doing what you need to do in order to nourish your spirits and protect your health and, you know, just your overall well-being with all of the heat waves fires and earthquakes on top of the pandemic in Los Angeles lately. It's definitely been a little trying, but thankfully, I can say I'm surviving it all. We're all still here, entering the fall season, you know, waving goodbye to summertime, even though it still feels like summer. Um, so not only is the weather changing, but we are now in the full-blown election season with the presidential election less than a month away. It's kind of a scary thing to think about. I think just because everything just seems so unknown nowadays. But contemplating the last presidential election um, in 2016, it made me think of a particular movie which it sort of captured that ominous day in history um, to many, I think. And that film is titled... A boy, a girl, a dream, love on election night, which was released in 2018 and was directed by Kasim Bashir. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and it was also co-written by Bashir and Samantha Tanner. This fun, this film won the Black Lens Jury Award um, at the Milwaukee Film Festival, and it was also an Audience Award nominee at the Sundance Film Festival. This is Kasim um, Basir's third feature film. He also wrote and directed the 2010 film Muslim which starred, um, it starred Nia Long, Danny Glover, and Evan Ross, um, to name a few. It was a really good film. Basir, he also directed the 2016 film entitled Destined, which won the Grand Jury Prize for Best Director at the American Black Film Festival. Something else I thought was interesting to notate was that Datari Turner is a producer on this film. Now, I recognize his name in the credits on the reality television show Growing Up Hip Hop as a producer. So I was impressed to see his name show up as a producer on this particular project. And after doing some researching, I've actually found that he's got a pretty versatile producing resume. I've actually seen several of his films, like Uncorked, which was a recent release on Netflix. Um, These are films that he's produced. Um, Supermodel, which was released in 2015. A Girl Like Grace, which is also another 2015 release. And Dysfunctional Friends, which was released in 2012. Dysfunctional Friends is kind of like one of those, I don't know, kind of one of those black cult classic type films that I like to watch when when I see it come on, when it's on TV. Or when I see it on demand, when I come across it on demand. I like to put it on. But anyways, he has a pretty extensive resume um, of producer credits 
on well-rounded indie black films, I'd say. And I like that his projects aren't atypical depictions of black people, but are focused on showing more nuanced portrayals of black folk. And this particular film, which is the subject of um, this episode's film chat, A Boy, A Girl, A Dream, it really has me excited for what other scripts and directors Mr. Turner will work with in the future. So he's definitely one to watch, I would say. And a little fun fact, he's also done a bit of acting and modeling. A friend actually pointed him out to me at a party a few years ago, and she's the one who told me that he was a model and an actor, which I wasn't aware of at the time. But he was very pleasant when my friend introduced herself. But I think it's very fitting to be discussing this particular film on this episode of Black Day Blah Film Chat because it's so topical for what's happening in U.S. politics right now. I mean, when watching it, it truly brings you back in time and, you know, it makes you flash back to exactly what you were doing last election day. I mean, for me, I relive the highs and lows of that night. I remember I was working a late night shift and I remember being at my computer while this woman next to me, she was calling the states, I remember, as they were being announced on the news and she was kind of monitoring it on her cell phone and she just kept saying it's not looking good it's not looking good you know in kind of like a panic mode but I think my mind wouldn't let me comprehend that so I just remember brushing her off and then when the presidential race was actually called I mean, I just remember co-workers getting up stunned in disbelief, some crying. Um, but then on the other hand, there were actually many, surprisingly, who all of a sudden, who had been quiet the whole night, were very gleeful and chipper. So, you know, the, the closeted... Uh, you know who supporters kind of revealed themselves. Um, and it was a diverse bunch. But you know, just that feeling, I remember it just was the worst. And I actually left work early that night. But yeah, also another thing that brought this film to mind for me was last year when the film 1917 was released and it got so much buzz for being filmed to look like you know it was done in one long shot I immediately thought about a boy a girl in a dream um and how it was shot with the same concept and you know it just made me remember how it was executed so perfectly Cause I think I just stumbled across the film somehow on online. I don't know how I had heard about this film, but I saw it and I just remember being, you know, just so impressed with it. But alas, um, it didn't get quite the same buzz as 1917 did. And I think it should have because it's an important film, in my opinion. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this film chat. Like I just mentioned, it's shot to appear as if it's one seamless shot throughout the entire film, and it unfolds on the night of the 
presidential election in 2016. Um, and it deals with fate, bringing two people together who find love and solace during a kind of horrific night, you know, in their eyes. The film stars Megan Good and Omari Hardrick. Megan Good, she's had she's had a pretty long and impressive career, starting out in acting as a child, and you know she's appeared in many classic black films like Eve's Bayou and Stomp the Yard. Um, She's been in the Think Like a Man series, film series. But I I think even more impressive is she's also wears the producer hat. And she's been a producer, credited as a producer on several films that she's also starred in. One that comes to mind is a girl like Grace. I think she was also... Um, a producer on that film I believe it was called video girl but she also has she's also credited as an executive producer on this film as well um, a boy a girl in a dream um, Amari Hardrick I think hands down at this point is most famously known as ghost the character in the widely popular television show Sadly, his character was seemingly killed off last season. I know it looked like Tariq shot him. But there's just a small part of me that thinks he may pop up again on the new Power spinoff. Though, so for all of you diehard fans who are missing seeing Hardrick on the TV screen... This is a chance to enjoy him in full-blown, you know, leading man role. Aside from his role on Power, Hardrick has had roles in several films and TV shows. Most notably, I'd say he starred in Ava um, DuVernay's first two films, I Will Follow and Middle of Nowhere. Other films he's had roles in are Spike Lee's Miracle at St. Anna, Tyler Perry's For Colored Girls, and he's had a, a recent role I really um, liked, which was in Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. He played a, a non-typical role, um, I think, um, than what you're normally used to seeing him in this sort of avant-garde film. A little bit quirky. I really like that film. Sorry to bother you. I might actually feature that in a film chat one day. We'll see. So this film opens with sound being heard over the black credits rolling. It's kind of inaudible um what's being said but it's a group of people hanging out on an LA night then after the last director's credit shows on a black screen there's a fade or a dissolve on onto the nearly dark sky matching the previous shot of the black credit screen so there's kind of this seamless um, shot transition to the camera panning down from the black sky down through some trees to land on Cass, who is the character played by Amari Hardrick. He's sitting on a low wall, concentrating on his phone. The camera rotates to show a few girls standing closely behind him just for the nightclub in Los Angeles. The camera then slowly pulls out to a wide shot to show his homeboy played by Jay Ellis who was trying to holler at um, a group of girls when Cass asks him if he wants to go get some food. 
Cass, being a gentleman, he offers to give his jacket to one of the ladies, asking if she's cold. This act of chivalry starts up a bit of a commotion with the other girls. It's a group of about um, maybe five girls of them wanting um, Jay Ellis, the character played by Jay Ellis, to give up his jacket also. Kaz, sitting on the far right of the screen, is distracted. Something has caught his eye. The camera moves from a wide shot on all of them and swings around quickly and stops on the side of a medium shot of Kaz, who looks down momentarily right when Free, who's played by Megan Good, walks quickly into the frame and passes the others. Kaz looks up to see Free walking to a food truck. The camera subtly pans toward the truck, shooting over Cass's shoulder toward Free at the order window. When she gets her food, she walks back towards the camera, which pushes in a little and pans following her as she locks eyes with Cass. And then walks back past all the girls and Jay to sit down on a low wall right behind them to eat. The camera's still in place on Cass with Free in the background or the foreground, however you want to describe that. Um, Handheld follows Cass as he gets up and walks around the crowd to introduce himself to Free. See, I'm breaking down this shot because it's so intricate. And I was wowed the first time I saw it because I wasn't expecting it. Like, I didn't know about the one-shot concept before I saw this film. The camera pulls and pans and blocking are just flawless. This is the stuff I like where it's like, okay, I'm watching a movie movie. The director, Kasim Bashir, and the DP, Stephen Holleran, you know, you can tell like they know, okay, what they're, what they're doing. Okay, back to the shot. In unoriginal fashion, Cass asks Free, what's up? You know, where's, where's her crew at? He asks her if she's trying to go to the spot. She says no. She's already went out to a bar. She turns him down. I think kind of salty... Um, Cass tells her it's her loss and, you know, kind of, you know, again, in a little snarky way, tells her to enjoy her sandwich. He turns toward the camera and walks toward it as, um, it's handheld where the cameraman is walking backwards now. The cameraman swings around behind Cass as he rejoins his group and looks down at his phone notifications. He holds up his phone and we see a news flash on the screen superimposed showing Hillary Clinton losing Iowa. Now we see why he's been concentrating on his phone the whole night and seemingly tense about something. The camera follows them down the street. Cass hangs back and looks back toward Free. He gets a call from his child's mother who puts his young son on the phone. He winds up soothing his son who's actually worried about the election. And this is a nice character in detail where we see a quick nurturing side of Cass. He might not be a stereotypical Hollywood, you know, on the scene type. He might be kind of deep, you know, politically aware. 
and you know just the meditation type by the way you know he's he's calming his son down free walks up and she asks is the offer still good and of course it is so she joins the group the group walk up to the club door and the doorman says he sees that they brought talent referring to you know the group of ladies how that typical you know hollywood club door action goes and the doorman he lets them skip the line and they get into the club the shot's still going once inside it's a regular hollywood club scene nothing spectacular the visuals don't quite wow me in this scene, but that could be because I kind of find the Hollywood club scene to be boring nowadays. Or maybe the extras could have been choreographed a little better. I don't know. I think I would have liked a bit more chaos and, you know, just debauchery visually going on in this shot. But anyway, um, Free, she observes Cass working the floor, greeting people. She sees he's a club promoter. So, you know, he's in his element. Another on-screen notification showing the Republicans clinching the house can be seen. So Free kind of stands off to the side from the other girls where they, they look like they're in, I don't know, like a little VIP section. As they get bottle service, another notification imposed on the screen showing Trump's gain and it pops up causing Cass to get up, you know, just out of frustration, I think. And he goes to talk. To free who's sitting you know a little ways away from him he has difficulty talking to her over the loud crowd and she excuses herself to the bathroom he follows her to the bathroom first she looks a bit taken aback but then she kind of relinquishes to his advances as he leans in to kiss her and they start to passionately kiss for several moments but then Free has a change of heart and pushes him off and rushes out. Still on the continuous shot, the camera swings around in a circle um, around Cass as he looks for Free. Then it follows him out the door, the front door to the street as he tracks her down. Free's texting someone. Seems like a boyfriend is checking, you know, on her status, wanting to know when she's coming home, where she at. She tells Cass that she's leaving town the next day, and she pretty much tells him, like, you know, she can manage on her own, you know, from there. So, her night of clubbing seems to have come to an abrupt end. Cass winds up insulting her, Asking, you know, if she's going back to the Midwest and she insults him about being a 30-something club promoter. Uh, he tells her that, you know, he runs the town and he's the one who got her in the club anyway that she was actually sitting outside of. Um, so he walks away in a bit of a huff and he sits a few feet down in front of a business, just kind of reeling from their confrontation. The camera is close on him when a commotion gets his attention. The camera swings back toward Free where two white men are harassing her. Cash gets up rushes over to her rescue and gets in a scuffle with these two men. The police rush up 
and they wind up attacking Cass as if he's the aggressor. So Free explains that, you know, he wasn't, the police let him go, and then two young black men uh, wind up approaching Cass and Free, and they recognize him, and, you know, they tell him that they have actually saw his film at, while he was, uh, I believe, at USC, and they ask him when his feature film is going to be coming out, and he kind of just a little bit brushes off their question, and he tells them to keep working. So here, we see that more layers of cast are getting peeled back. He's not just a club promoter which isn't bad in itself, but him being an artist or filmmaker adds multi-dimensional layers to his to this character that I just, I love. I really like that. And it's a realistic example of what the Hollywood shuffle looks like, you know? For black folks, for, for, for any type of folks. There's an old saying that seemingly everyone in LA has a script or a headshot in the trunk of their car. So Cass kind of embodies that. And Free witnessing all the flurry of emotions in Cass attempts to console him and calm him down. Um, she asked about his film and says she wants to see it. And he tells her no and then calls or requests um, a lift. We see another notification saying that Clinton has the popular vote but that Trump has the electoral college. The way the election notifications keep popping up on the screen was a good choice to portray the tension in the air. Not only that, but it keeps the tension of the film building. It's a good way to add suspense where the viewer already knows how the election will turn out. But... You want to see how these particular people are going to react to it. So each time there's a notification superimposed on the screen, it kind of makes you say, uh-oh, like, you know, it's coming. This thing we don't collectively want, it's on its way, ready or not. So when the lift comes... Free acts where Cass is going and he says anywhere but here and he tells her that she's welcome to come. So she follows him into the lift. Still on this continuous shot as the camera is positioned facing the two from the front seat. The ice between the two starts to be broken or melting a bit. When Free tells him he's cute. But then they sit in silence as the radio commentator talks about the election. Free thanks him for fighting for her and he says, you know, you're welcome. But then they fall back into silence. Now, I just have to point out the writing and the acting here because... Not a lot is said, but a lot is silently going on between the two. And it's so realistic if you've ever been one to have, you know, just a media connection with someone, but you don't know if you like them or not, you know, you know, sometimes you don't know if you like like or, or or dislike somebody. I I mean, I can say I've definitely experienced this. But the driver, he winds up breaking the silence asking 
if Cass needs a napkin. The driver then asks Cass what happened, you know, seeing his, um, you know, he can tell he's been in some type of a, a fight. He continues saying he understands what it's like because he's Arabic. And then Cass tells him that, you know, he can't know about waking up as a black man every day. The, the driver tells him that he actually is half black and half Arabic. So he tells Cass, try being a black man every day and putting on and being put on a terrorist list. You know, I guess contemplating this, Cass, he just gets agitated and he just says, you know, this shit ain't okay. And he hits the seat in frustration. The camera, it stays on free and cast, and we only hear the driver talking. Cass, he, you know, ignores a text message that he's getting from people trying to get into the club. He's now, you know, he's, he's not in club promoter mode at this particular moment. I like how the tension builds up in this scene where Cass, he says he's tired of the same shit. You know, just the the frustration is building. Amari, he is really good with the intense looks. Like, that's something, again, you know, if you've watched him, just in everything, you know, definitely in Power or, you know, some of his past films, he just has that look of intensity down. Free ask, ask, she asks him if he's okay, and he says, not really, but, you know, he'll be fine. He's just, you know, tired of, you know, just the same old stuff, you know. Every city is, you know, the same old shit, as he puts it. The camera moves over, away from Free, to leave just Cass in the frame looking out the window and we see the streets whizzing by. The camera then moves to show him and Free back in the frame together and he says, welcome to LA. After a short silence, Cass asks her what she wants. She replies that no one ever really gets what they want. Cass says, who told you that? And she responds that, you know, everyone in her family has told her that. She says, it's crazy to try and, you know, go after what you want. He asks her, you know, what she does for a living and she tells him she's a lawyer. He then, taking a little bit of jab at her, asks, you know, is that why she's wearing this short cropped hair with the blonde on the top? Um, he pushes her to reveal what she really wants and she still insists that, you know, nobody really gets what they want. He insists that, you know, he's going after what he wants and she replies back, are you? So, you know, it's this kind of little tug of war going back and forth between them. Cass, he finally gets free to reveal that, you know, she wants to be a DJ. You know, she likes to make people feel something by playing music. And Cass tells her that film does the same thing for him. So eventually she lets him listen to one of her playlists on her phone and he's impressed. And after getting another text, he he get he goes back to being somber and quiet. So again, most likely it's an election. One of those you know, election notifications. So finally they get to their location and get out of the lift. The camera moves from the car 
to show them walking up a long winding driveway and what looks like the Hollywood Hills, if I was guessing. They stop and the camera is set on a medium shot where Cass and Free face each other with really nice modern architecture house slightly out of focus behind them. Cass lets Free know that he only was talking to his son earlier and not a girl and he tells her he understands if, you know, she has another life. Free replies by saying, you know, Cass fought for her on the first day that they met while the guy that she has home, you know, he's only ever fought her. And he's actually only trying to fight for her now that she's gone. So, you you really got to see this film because right there, it's just really nice dialogue. And, of course, I'm not an actor, so I'm not doing it justice. But I just like this dialogue um, that went, you know, back and forth between them. The camera moves in slowly, showing them about from the shoulder up. Free, she leans in for a kiss, but not too intense, a sort of light peck. Their lips are so close. It looks like they're going to kiss each other, kiss again, but then Free, she looks over Cass's shoulder and, um... She says, oh my God, the view. The camera swings around and follows her to look out over a sprawling view of LA on the side of the driveway. Cass, he puts his jacket over her shoulder, you know, showing that kind of shivery that he displayed earlier. And they stand, you know, and just watch the view together. They had a moment, but it seems to kind of, you know, fade it away. They decide to go inside and check out the gathering um, to see what's all popping off inside. The camera, it's handheld, and it follows them up the driveway and into the front door. I love this scene because we got more revelations between the two. We see this connection building between them, but there's still hesitation on Free's part. And the camera movement and spacing um, of the, the two actors is really interesting to look at. There's not overriding or overacting. Um, it's just really natural chemistry that I love between Amari and Megan. So once inside, there's an election watch party going on in this big, you know, beautiful house in the hills. Many, mainly, I would say black and brown people are sitting around drinking and eating while watching you know a large flat screen television showing the largely red election map by this point people are in shock and one party goer says she doesn't understand because she voted kenya barris he actually has a little camera um appearance he's the uh creator of the popular show blackish and you know he's one of the shocked guests that you know is not believing what's happening so the news anchor calls out trump winning pennsylvania gaining another 20 votes as Cass pours a glass of wine we see another on-screen notification that Trump is near victory. Kaz pulls up the My Films, I guess that's an app, on his phone. 
or folder on his phone and he selects a video entitled to dream over uh, like a play button or something and it shows that it was last played four years ago so you know I guess this is a little bit of foreshadowing so this must be the film that those two uh, young men were uh, asking him about earlier so it looks like he's seemingly going to play the film but then free she turns off the TV screen and you know interrupts the news coverage at first you know everyone in the party is upset because they're you know they want to watch the election and you know someone they're like you know we need to watch history but free says that you know this isn't our history and you know that at this particular moment they need something that feels good so avion crockett he you know making um a cameo he tells her to go ahead and play her music so free she starts to play her music mix so i guess you know through the the um the what do you call that the bluetooth she didn't turn on um her music and you know some people are with it and you know they're kind of dancing along and you know others are kind of frustrated so a call interrupts the music and then cast and free they decide to leave that kind of area where everyone is and they go walk upstairs to an outdoor large balcony like outdoor area um you know it has a fire pit that's burning and you know a few other people are kind of just hanging out forgets a phone call so she answers it and she sounds upset at you know whoever she's talking to and so this discourages Cass from showing her his film on his phone. So it's like he, I think, is trying to share with her the same way, you know, she shared her music with him, but he just can't find the right time. So once she's done with her phone call, Free, she presses Cass. And then they just get into another discussion about following dreams and she questions whether he's really being free and, and following his dreams and, you know, getting his since, you know, he's been questioning her kind of about the same thing. And she mentions an actress that, you know, she noticed back at the club asking him about a script and you know wanting to know what he's doing about it wait i don't know if this actress at the club or downstairs at the party but anyway it was the actress asking him about a script um she says she saw you know how the the guys the young men earlier you know, were admiring him and um she asked him what you know what does he really want you know and you know just like what's happened and he says like nothing happened but that he fights every day i like how the camera is positioned here where Cass and free face each other with space between them and in between that space you get a beautiful view of the la lights in the background they are both sort of leaning against, um, I guess there's a railing of some kind, and Cass faces out so that we see the back of his head while we get the side profile, this the side profile shot of Free looking at him. Then they both turn towards the camera and the camera pulls back a little so that now their backs are up against the railing, which is lit up, giving, it just gives a really nice kind of um, highlight from the bottom of the frame, which is reflecting up at them. It's just really good, pretty shot um, composition. The camera moves in closer and Cass moves in 
moratora free as she gets a little choked up as if she's on the verge of tears he touches her face momentarily and it's this beautiful profile shot of his face next to hers while she's looking straight ahead to the camera it almost looks like a shot for an album cover but free she gains her composure then she embraces Cass for a hug. This is where you know you really have to appreciate the coordination of the shot setups and you know the eye that the DP had for the location. They really took advantage and made use of it. The lights of the city serve as like a backdrop of a canvas painting as the two embrace it's like they're being transported into another world and if you've ever had that kind of you know love at first sight or instant connection with a stranger this shot it just captures that whole kind of experience really well they are snapped out of that world with the voice of someone screaming, oh my God, he did not just win. Then the camera pans down to a lower level balcony as another couple are embracing. But this is a different embrace than what, you know, Free and Cass had going on. This man is consoling this woman for like a different type of terror. The can pans back up to show Cass and Free with looks of disappointment and disbelief. They reluctantly walk back into the house with the camera following. There's an urgent sort of violent music playing as they emerge to a room of devastation. The music, then it abruptly cuts off. Cass addresses the room and tells everyone, you know, they need to keep fighting and they all have work to do. And then um, one of the party goers, played by Jonathan Wesley, yells out and he says, you know, and that means you too, right? And Cass, he, you know, he, he, he reluctantly agrees and says yes. So, you know, it's a little bit of foreshadowing of you know something else that's going on with Cass so we see like okay there really is something going on with his filmmaking and he's not pursuing it to the level that he should because not only you know did we hear this from strangers we're now hearing this from someone who you know is seemingly his friend so Free and Cass, they emerge from the house. The camera moves around in front of them and moves backwards as they walk towards it down the driveway. So mind you, this is still, you know, one continuous shot. Uh, Free and Cass, they run into their Lyft driver who told them that he decided to just park after he dropped them off because he felt like it was just too dangerous to be driving around and he he winds up offering them a ride for free so while in the car the radio turns on with the the announcer talking about you know trump winning she's in a sort of despair and shock you know there's shock in her voice they're talking about his bigotry and sexual assault allegations and you know, what will happen to the country and how it's divided now. Free and Cass just sit. You know, they sit in silence before Free. She says something like that we represent too many bad people and there, there's just too many, I guess, bad people winning. You know, there's more talking on the radio, you know, about slavery and confiscation of land from Native American people. You know, just how, just the divide in the country. Cass, he leans forward in, in kind of contemplation and, you know, free checks on him and asks him if he's okay. And 
he says he assures her that he will be. It's a long ride. Again, there's not a lot going on in the scene at this moment. But it's it's a lot going on, you know? Because, again, it's just kind of like a lot of nonverbal action going on. The actors do a great job of filling up screen time without too much dialogue or action. It's very subtle how Cass and Free are, are reflecting and, you know, I guess emoting. There's a shot showing the street through the back window. And eventually Cass, he starts to talk about naming his son after his favorite poet. He says, he says he always tells his son that he's strong and smart and loving. And Free says, well, if he's anything like you, then he definitely is. And Cass, he looks at her as if for the first time and reintroduces himself saying, nice to meet you. And she says the same. They hold each other's gaze momentarily before sort of kind of coyly looking away. They ride in silence again with Cass breaking the silence with like a kind of loud sigh. After a few moments, he says he recalls why he moved out here and she asks why. And then, you know, after a little pause, he says, so the good people can win for once. When they arrive at Mel's drive-in diner, Cass asks the driver, Nakib, that's his name. I don't know if I said it earlier. But he asks the driver, Nakib, if he wants anything. He declines. Then Cass says, God bless you. And Nakib responds, Assalamu alaikum. And Cass replies back, Mulaikum salam. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing those greetings correctly. I've heard them. But I don't know if my ears quite um, caught the pronunciation correctly. So forgive me if my pronunciation's off a little bit. So Free and Kaz go inside the diner and they sit in a section that's closed off. So they're the only ones um, in this particular uh, part of the restaurant. The camera sits on the outside of the booth they're, they're sitting at and they're sitting across from each other. While Free looks at um, the menu, Cass, he pulls up his film on his phone finally, and he gives it to her. She pulls out her headphone, and she watches the film intently as Cass sits across from her, nervously watching. The camera pans over to show him kind of shaking, and he's kind of shrunken in the corner of his, um, I guess that's like a booth chair, booth seating, as Free, as Free is um, watching the film. Um, the camera pans to her. Her expression shows that she's just overcome with emotion, and a tear it drops in reaction to his film. The camera pans back to Cass and he's calmed down a bit seeing her reaction then there's a pan back to free the camera pulls out to show them both in the frame together as she's finishing up the film and she she's just like overtaken and she you know she said something like wow she tells Cass he needs to send the script to that actress in the club. She says that the film is important and it's our voice, you know, with everything that's going on. She talks about purpose and inspiring. Cass, he's hesitant. He says, you know, the typical thing that overly perfectionist screenwriters do and says, you know, he has to clean up his script first, but that, you know, eventually he will send it over to this actress, presumably. 
but he realizes that Free, she's not like bullshitting him. She tells him that if he sends the script, she'll cancel her flight home and she will quit her job. He contemplates, you know, once he sees that she's serious. And so Cass, who he's sitting across from her, he gets up and he sits next to her in the booth. Free pulls up her flight information on her phone. Kaz, he does a countdown from three and then they both press the send button. So I guess she's pressing to delete her, um, to cancel her flight and he's pressing to send his script. So they kind of, after they do this, they sit in reflection. I think of the gravity of what just happened. They've both just jumped off a cliff together. Cass takes a deep breath and he looks at Free. And she's kind of fighting back a lot of emotions at this point. And she she might be actually fighting back tears. But she smiles and she gives him a kind of, you know, one of those like, oh shit, we did it looks. Then they both sit and face forward with a kind of deer in headlights look as this sort of daunting but hopeful instrumental plays over the scene. Again, another one of those perfect silent spots or one of those, you know, perfect silent scenes. I really love the directing here and acting performance is not melodramatic or overly sappy. And it's refreshing how they react in the moment. And, you know, they're showing despair, but also hope all in, you know, a matter of seconds. The camera starts the pan facing the front of them. It swings around them sitting stiffly in the booth still it moves to a side shot and then continues to pan around to the back of the booth and then uh the camera pulls out to show them sitting in the booth from behind as free leans her head on cass's shoulder the camera continues to pull out backwards and we see a flat screen tv with um, the president-elect seemingly giving a victory speech. The camera continues to pull down the aisle of tables through the front door of the restaurant and out the front door as two people are walking in. It continues to pull out to show the outside uh, Mel's drive-in sign then pans up to the black sky, to the moon shining brightly with the blue light reflecting. The credits begin to play on the left-hand side of the screen with the shot of the moon on the right um, and flashes of stars you know, can be seen. And the film ends here. So yeah, overall, again, I mean, I really just love this film. I had to watch it a few times to really just appreciate all the components of it and take in how everything worked together from the election details, the romantic development between the actors, the camera work and editing, all very masterful. And I think I'm most intrigued because this film's two leads gave surprising performances to me. Like, I, I, I've, I already like Good and, and Hard Trick, but I was just really blown away, I think maybe by their chemistry in this particular film. I'm so used to seeing Megan Good, you know, playing the pretty girl next door or, you know, those temptress roles. 
that it was refreshing to see her play a role that was a bit outside of the box than, you know, in her past roles that I've seen. And it was refreshing to see Amari Hardrick showcase his acting skills. He has a very expressive face and demeanor and was able to give an understated but powerful performance, in my opinion. I also think this type of film is great to show African Americans being aware of, you know, just the political process and understanding the policies in government um, that affect us. We don't always get to see African American film characters get to be conscientious, but also free spirited and complicated you know, all at the same time. And here it's done masterfully. I can't wait to see the next film that Basir directs. He really did his thing with this one. So I think that's all for this episode of Blase Blah Film Chat. I really appreciate all of you who have been tuning in to our chats um yeah and until next time